Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. Welcome. This is your weekly Meanwhile in Memphis episode here at every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. on WYXR 91.7. Thank you for being here. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis with New Memphis. And right here with me is... I'm Christy Mullen. I'm also with New Memphis. And we're back. Um, It's show three. So, you know, we're going to be pros soon, right? That's how this works, I'm assuming. Um, so about two years. Yeah, right. So today we have a terrific show for you guys. Joining us is Jennifer McGrath, who serves as the Vice President of Education at our very own Orpheum Theater. She's here to talk about how the arts community is, you know, combating the recent circumstances in our world and what we can do to help. Also joining us later will be April Childs Potter, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at the Greater Memphis Chamber of Commerce. And she's joining us as one of our workforce experts to talk about how Memphis is, you know, rising to the challenge of being a workforce powerhouse and making sure we are securing new talent in our city. Excellent. Well, let's jump in. Jennifer, thank you for being with us this week. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is it's good timing. Um, just last week. Uh, we were having a conversation about Memphis culture and the importance of cultures. So we had guests like uh, Ryan Watt from Indie Memphis, uh, Rachel Knox from the Hyde Foundation, and just having this dialogue about culture and the arts and kind of everything that is baked into culture as being not just kind of a, not just a nice to have, but an essential in a city. And it's so much a core to our city's personality and and how we how we engage talent, yes. how Memphis is a place where you want to come and stay. So I just deeply believe that the Orpheum is one of the grand jewels oh, in our crown is. of cultural assets. So we're thrilled to have you guys here. Um, we kind of wanted to just start by asking, how are things going over <laughs> at the Orpheum Theater? I know this has been a wild year and no one, you know, we know that among those who've been impacted the most, our arts institutions are really struggling. So tell us, how are things going? Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? 2020 has has hit all of us, I think, like a ton of bricks. Um, and I think that you are right that absolutely uh, the arts industry in particular is really, really going through um, a very difficult time, a challenging time. Um, but like you said, the arts are essential. They're essential to our soul as human beings and, and to our sense of community and to our sense of gathering and expressing ourselves. Um, and all of those things, I think, are things that we need more than ever right now mm-hmm. with what's going on in the world. Um, so so while it absolutely has been challenging, I'm also really proud to say um, that the Orpheum Theater Group in Memphis, Tennessee is not going to let a global pandemic slow us down. Um, we are really, really <laughs> proud to say that we've got a ton of things uh, going on, both in person, socially distanced, of course, with masks and all of the necessary safety precautions to keep people safe. Um, but also in the virtual space. So we're really excited that we're able to sort of engage in both of those places and keep bringing people together through the arts and and using the power of the arts to maintain that sense of community and maintain that sense of togetherness um, and and free expression because we need that right now. thousand percent. I feel like that's kind of been a small bright spot in this year is kind of I feel like the community has realized with not having it there, you know, it's kind of like that old adage, like you don't realize what you had until it's gone, like not having the arts and like the access to it anymore. People are realizing how important it was in their lives. How have like the Memphis community shown you guys some of that love of like missing you guys and wanting to support? 
Oh my goodness. We have been been shown love by the Memphis community in so, so many ways. And we're really grateful for that. I mean, I think the the biggest one is the support, the outpouring of support that has come through in uh, what we're calling our Onward campaign, um, which is essentially um, a, a way to see the Orpheum through this really, really difficult time. Um, it is challenging to be losing, you know, massive amounts of our revenue, um, all of those things that, that are affecting us with the shutdown of Broadway and, and sort of not knowing what's going to happen there and what's going to happen when. Um, the Orpheum is a nonprofit organization and a lot of people don't know that. So yes. I, I say it again, the Orpheum is a nonprofit organization that relies on support to, um, to thrive. And what has been so magical is that in this time of need, when we are are losing our revenue um, and and uh, the industry is suffering in such great ways, so many people across Memphis have stepped up and said, "Okay, we want to support. We want to become a donor. We want to become a monthly giver. We want to volunteer. We want to engage um, and support that onward campaign." And it has just been overwhelming, and we are humbled by the support and generosity of the community. I think it speaks to. Uh, what you said earlier, which is that people really value this place um, and and what is able to happen when we use the arts to build community and transform one another and come together and support each other. So, I mean, there's been so many ways that people have been engaging, but I, I think that I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to everyone that has offered their support during this really challenging time. Yeah, it's been really amazing to see both arts organizations innovate and sort of remold their programming and their offerings and their, whether it be, you know, visual arts and thinking about these sort of virtual um, galleries or, you know, these kind of pop-up performances that are happening outdoors in communities. So tell us, you know, you mentioned earlier um, kind of what you guys are doing and both, you know, indoors, outdoors, virtually. Tell us kind of what, you know, if you're a Memphian out there who's looking for some way to get out and be a part of the arts community in this next month? What, what could people be expecting from y'all? Well, one of our favorite things, I think, to share at the Orpheum is that, um, did you know that you can now come down to the Orpheum Theater and play nine holes of miniature golf? I love um, this idea. Broadway-themed miniature golf is happening on stage at the Orpheum. Of course, like I said, it is socially distanced, masks required, and all sorts of health precautions are in place. It's, you know, you have to sign up for a tea time in advance so that the, the capacity is limited and so that everything can sort of be managed in that way. Um but when you think about it, it's like we have this beautiful space um, and we're trying to tie into Broadway. And so this was a way that we were able to do it. It's actually um, the the brainchild, brilliant brainchild of our CEO, Brett Batterson, who um, in a brainstorming session, session with our COO, Dakri Baptiste, just sort of said, mini golf, what, what, what is that? You know, and, and we all kind of said, Huh? And then the more that we thought about it, um, it became this really unique way to engage the community centered around the theme of Broadway um, and to get people back into our space in a way that was safe and enjoyable and fun. You know, I think 2020 has been such a stressful time that it's also wonderful that we're able to provide an activity that people can come and just have fun with their family, do something nice. Um, the really cool part about it is that you get to come in the stage door and you're playing golf actually on stage. So you get to see that beautiful view that the performers, you know, the audience doesn't usually get to see that, but you get to see that beautiful view that the performers see looking out into the house while you play. There's Broadway themed music, all that stuff. And then you get to sort of explore the backstage area, which if you've not been the, you know, floor to ceiling, wall to wall is historic 
historic murals of all the shows that have come through the Orpheum. So it's a really nice sort of behind the scenes look um, look at the theater that not everybody always gets to see. So people are coming down. And like I said, the tea times are still available. You just go to orpheum-memphis.com to sign up. Um, and, and that's one of the ways that we're engaging in person. Um, I think uh, it's also worth mentioning, you know, last week we had the Memphis Symphony in the Halloran Center, our, our sister mm. building right next door for two uh, sold out socially distanced concerts. <laughs> so, of course, the capacity is is much smaller than what it normally would be so that we can bring people in safely. Um, but they were at capacity. And it was, you know, it was different than we've ever done a live symphony concert before. Um, it was a chamber group, of course, smaller amount of players. And again, all sorts of health precautions in place. Um, but I can't tell you how overwhelming it was to sit in that theater and 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 hear live music mm -hmm. in a live space again. Same thing on last Saturday night. We had a Women of Soul concert in the Orpheum on stage uh, in partnership with the Memphis Slim House. And two local Memphis uh, artists, Demonet and Karen Brown, on stage at the Orpheum singing their hearts out, dare I say, bringing the house down um, <laughs> for a socially distanced audience. Um, and it was so wonderful to not only, um, you know, be in community, again, small, yeah. safe community, but be in community hearing live music, but also to be uplifting the voices of local Memphis artists on our stage was a really, really special thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, I, we're constantly at New Memphis sort of beating the drum about how lucky we should all feel and, and thus be motivated to go and support these really incredible institutions like the Memphis Symphony Orchestra um, that, you know, some larger cities with a sort of more robust uh, art scene take for granted. But here in Memphis, we don't. And I think knowing that they're still doing their work and yeah. they're still performing and knowing that they often take the stage at the Orpheum or at the Halloran Center. Um, so we're, we're grateful for that. That's great news. No, that they have the opportunity still. Mm. It's just such a great thing, I feel like, about Memphis. Like, I love that we're all about creating that opportunity, even in tough times. Well, yeah, it's it's about collaboration and partnership. You know, yes. we, have to, we have to uplift one another. We have to all take care of each other, especially in the arts com uh, community right now. And I think that some of the things that we are trying to do and ways that we're trying in to innovate wouldn't be possible on our own. And so it's been really lovely and really beautiful to think outside the box and dream big with other arts institutions and help support and take care of them. Because like you said, Memphis has such a rich arts landscape and we want all of it to, to yeah. be here on the other mm -hmm. side of this. And so we've got to take care of each other. Um, it's absolutely it's crucial. And I think I think there's also a lot of opportunity for that in the virtual realm as well. You know, you were asking, what other things are you doing in the virtual space? Um, uh, I'm so proud of our education and community engagement department um, because we haven't let this pandemic slow us down one bit. I mean, we had a phenomenal season of summer camp, our Rising Star and Broadway boot camp, as well as our Mending Hearts camp, which is our camp for young people who have experienced the death of one or both parents. Mm. We were able to adapt all of those programs to the virtual space and still provide a place for these young people who, you know, at that point, now we think, oh, we're, we're back to school and it's virtual and everybody knows and we're used to it. I mean, at that point, people were still reeling from like, what does this even mean? We've just been sent home and, you know, and so to be able to provide space for young people to come together and, and sort of process what was going on and express themselves was phenomenal. Um, in terms of partnerships, just last week, we hosted a two-night virtual story fest um, where our From Where I Stand and Listen Up programs, which are two programs that um, allow young people to tell their own stories in their own words, um, that were slated to perform live last April. Of course, pandemic hit. Everything was madness. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of had to pause and go, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? 
Um, but after some time, you know, we were committed to uplifting these stories and we value these stories. And so we had to find a way to do this. Uh, and so in partnership with Overton High School and Douglas High School, we were able to find a way to film and record the stories and sort of screen them and have a live participation event in the virtual space. Um, and we're continuing on with that in our partnerships with the Refugee Empowerment Program, um, on our Listen Up Impacted film, and so many other ways. So um, it's really great to know that we can exist safely in person, but also that we're not slowing down. We're not losing the communities that we're building. We're just reaching them in a different way. Hmm. Thousand percent. You guys are definitely like pivoting. And I think that's like is what's such a great thing is you are finding those partnerships and you're finding those ways to connect. And that's one of my favorite reasons that you're a guest today is because I don't think people understand like the reach of the Orpheum's work. I think so often when we think of the Orpheum, we get locked into just the Broadway season or just like the concerts and the shows. The average Memphian doesn't know about like the educator work you guys do, which you as the vice president of education lead a lot on. And so to hear you speak to like all your camps and things and still being able to take those to the virtual space, I think is so impactful. And I'm so glad you guys are able to kind of pivot and redo that. Um, so I know you're a New Yorker originally, correct? Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know when you came to New Memphis as a New Memphis fellow, you were fairly still new-ish to town, I believe. So I just kind of want to know a little bit about you. I know you've told us a lot about the Orpheum and about what all the amazing, wonderful, great things you're doing. And you guys need to please donate to the Orpheum mm -hmm. at Orpheum. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to learn, like, let our listeners hear just kind of a little bit about you and your experience personally of like coming from another city to Memphis. I think you moved here for your job or your role at the Orpheum. Um, just kind of tell us how, what led you here and how you like it so far. Sure. I mean, yes, all that you said is true. I, I am a born and raised New Yorker. Um, November 1st will be my three-year anniversary in Memphis. Congrats. So I've almost been here about three years now, which is wild. It feels like, how could it possibly have already been three years? Yes. Um, but but it's, it's flying by. Um, you're right that I did move here for this job. Um, I came because um, Brett Batterson, the president and CEO of the Orpheum, you know, said, got this job opportunity and, and um, you know, was recruiting in multiple places. And of course, I was one of the people that was being, re you know, recruited and interviewed. And, and when I said, why, you know, why should I come here? And he said, well, I want to hire somebody that that wants to use arts to change the world. And what I always say about myself is that I have had a variety of different jobs sort of like all across the, the map. And I sometimes I joke that I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> I feel that so much. But, right, right. <laughs> But um, my mission has always been the same. I believe in the power of the arts to make the world better on, a, on both a micro and a macro level. I believe that the arts is something that can um, provide great change. It can provide great education. It can provide healing. It can provide a space for expression, confidence building, and, and, and community building. It's a space for people to come together and feel that they're not alone and feel a sense of belonging. And I think that that is something that human beings are always craving, um, but especially now, my goodness. Um, so it's actually a real honor to be able to do a job where we are hopefully doing some of those things, building community and educating people and perhaps opening and expanding their hearts and minds. I'd like to think that that we're doing some of that work um, and, and making change and making progress and pushing, pushing the needle forward. Um, so that's really why I came. And I think... Um, 
yeah, I, I think I guess that's all. That's that's what I would say. It's yeah. just it's a real pleasure mm-hmm. and an honor to do it. And in terms of Memphis, I know that's actually you know New Memphis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so <laughs> grateful for my time at New Memphis. You know, when I first got here, you're absolutely right. I I came. I didn't know a single soul except. Brett and came here on my own. And so New Memphis was such a window into a way to meet people both personally and professionally, to find a network, um, to develop my leadership skills. Um, And I was so grateful for that. And I think some of the people that I'm closest to both personally and professionally now are people that I was introduced to through the New Memphis Fellows Program. So I'm always shouting from the rooftops and advocating for that. We did not pay her to say that. No, No, but but she cares better than we do. (laughs) It's it's true. It's true. It's such a great way in, especially if you're not from here. But even if you are from here, um, connecting people and building relationships and celebrating. I love how you guys do those. Celebrate the city. Celebrate the things that are happening because the reality is, is Memphis is... I mean, what an exciting time to be in Memphis. I feel like this city is is on the precipice of so many amazing things that are happening. Um, and, and it's exciting to be here and to try to be a part of that. No, that's great to hear. And I think that's absolutely true that, you know, I, I firmly believe that wherever, whatever community you live in, you should give back to that community. You should be, you should care about your neighbors, like small and broad, Um but I genuinely, you know, and I, and I always kind of bristle a little bit when people are like, Memphis is the best city ever. I'm like, well, that's <laughs> that does, that's not necessary. <laughs> but I do think that we have this unique thing to offer that this is a really interesting time to be here in the city. And I think we are very much a city in the midst of progress. And you can truly feel it. And I've kind of said that for the last, like, five to ten years as, like, a young journalist initially in the city and then kind of moving into this nonprofit role. Um, but it's so exciting to hear that reflected back from people that are new to town to kind of immediately identify that this is a city that has opportunity and that there's potential and that there's some sort of excitement that manifests from being able to to plug into that and be a part of it. So we're thrilled you're here. I'm curious. Yeah, this is. I am a um, I'm a theater novice, so I don't I don't know. Oh, if, like, I thought you were about to say expert. I was gonna be like me too. Who <laughs> <laughs> would you like me to break into the Hamilton soundtrack well, right now? <laughs> I have an older sister who was like uh, like just full theater kid, you know, and, like, as a young person, like, her just, like, belting show tunes in, like, the next room, and I was, like... That's why I'm not allowed to go to golf. I was, like, very (laughs) resentful of Broadway, but I think it's... There's been a weird, like, um, just kind of irony in my year that this is a year where, between Hamilton, which I saw for the first time on TV, like, on, you know, whatever, Disney+, and I recently watched, um, I can't remember what it's called, but the David Byrne uh, uh, Utopia. Utopia, yes. yes. And mm-hmm. it was excellent. Like, it was just such a power, like, which I can't remember what, what service it's streaming on. But these two sort of, like, Broadway hits that came into my home and gave me, I don't even want to say renewed, but perhaps, like, a sort of first time, like, I want to go see a Broadway show. <laughs> like, I want to see this. And, like, I understand what, you know, while I loved it in my living room, like, the sort of magic that would happen if you were, like, in that audience, like, in person. So, but and then of course this is the first year that like I can't just see Broadway yeah. show right now, um, so I'm curious. I know Broadway recently announced its season will not be restoring until at least June 2021. How does that impact what the Orpheum's season will look like? How are you guys navigating that? I know planning for the future right now is a murky proposition just in general. But how are you guys approaching this? And as we think about next year, and friends and patrons of the or- Orpheum are thinking about 2021 and beyond, what what are you guys thinking about? 
Well, I think that you you raise a really excellent point is that it is it is highly complex and there are so many unknowns. I mean, I think at, at the sort of base level of like what is actually happening is that we, of course, at the Orpheum continue to engage with the Broadway League, which is the trade union organization for Broadway shows and Broadway touring. And so obviously we continue to meet with them, are in close contact with, with the Broadway League, with the Broadway producers um, in discussion about what the future will be. So much of it is unknown, of course we remain hopeful um, that while, you know, it's, it's that tough safety is obviously the number one priority, um, but we remain hopeful. And I think what is certainly true is that Broadway will absolutely be back at the Orpheum. And I think that that is important to say because so many people are like, oh my gosh, is this the end of theater? Is this the end of Broadway? It's like, Broadway will be back at the Orpheum. It's just a question of when. Right. And so um, we continue to, like I said, stay up to date with all of the the unions and the um, trade organizations and sort of the people that are responsible for making those decisions. Um, and as soon as we know something and have more information to share, it'll be rolled out to all of our, of course, our Facebook subscribers and the public at large. Um, but we we remain hopeful and we're doing everything we can to get Broadway back safely into our spaces. I think the other thing that's kind of nice is that in the interim, you know, you mentioned your recent convert. Mm -hmm. I think that in the interim, um, the one of the positive things to come out of the pandemic is that, like you said, people are innovating in so many different ways. And I think that uh, it's exciting to remind people that theater can exist in so many different forms, mm -hmm. right? And and not only in Broadway. And so, you know, taking a moment to patronize a, a smaller theater or a virtual show or some fun collaboration pop-up outside live performance, you know, there are definitely other ways to satiate your love for theater and the arts in that way. Um, and so we're trying to find spaces and ways to do that to keep our audiences engaged. Um, but at this point, it's a little bit, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's a little bit of a waiting game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, we're all in this together, yeah, unfortunately. We're all in that <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we spoke, you spoke a little bit earlier about like celebrating the city and like how, you know, New Memphis tends to do that. And one of my favorites is definitely I'm a season ticket holder. It's like my splurge purchase for the Orpheum for the Broadway season. I kind of just want to know a little bit about like, what do you, what is your favorite Memphis thing to do to celebrate our city and kind of what organizations do you get involved with? Wow. I mean, there's so many amazing things to do it's in hard Memphis. It's hard to narrow it down. I mean, it's not a surprise, Chatty Kathy here, that, you know, I'm highly extroverted. I like to be out. Um, I like to be experiencing things firsthand and in person. Um, I definitely always talk about the art scene here, not just at the Orpheum, but, you know, Hattie Lou Theater, Playhouse on the yes. Square, Theater Memphis. Um, then you look at the dance scene, Collage, and New Ballet, and Ballet Memphis. You look at the museums, the Brooks Museum, the Metal Museum, the Dixon, like, I mean, um, uh, the Collective. Like, there's so many incredible arts organizations across the board. So I think some of my favorite things are definitely to be out experiencing all of those things. Um, you mentioned Indie Memphis. I mean, the film festival is this week and they're adapting. And so trying to engage with that and to continue to support uh, the, rich, the rich cultural and arts landscape that exists in Memphis. So I think that for sure is one of my favorites. And of course, like who can beat the food in Memphis? My God, <laughs> you know, and so just out enjoying all of the, the rich treasures of um, food that mm. exist in the city and patronizing and supporting local restaurants when we can. No, I love that. I think I agree 100 percent. 
before moving to Memphis, I never would have known how much of a rich cultural landscape, especially within the arts that we had available. Um, when I moved here, I moved here for a job at the Brooks Museum. And I like was like, oh, that's the, that's the museum. That's here. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then I was like, no, there's so much more. And there's so many theaters and there's so many art collectives and things popping up and organizations that are really helping push this scene forward. And I, you spoke to it earlier, the collaboration that I've seen between all of you guys, especially in this time. It's kind of been breathtaking to see everybody like lending a helping hand together. Um, again, that's why I'm so excited that you're here to kind of talk about it with us today. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I, I think I would also be remiss in in highlighting for people, um, you know, how easy it is to get involved, like you said, and give back, whether that's through um, volunteering or um, service on a board. I should I should mention that I sit on the board of the Memphis Music Initiative, which is another organization that I'm extremely passionate about. They're doing incredible things uh, for youth through music in the city. Um, and I think that that's also one of my favorite things about Memphis is that you can, there's like something for everyone and it doesn't just have to be something that you uh, observe. It can be something that you are actively engaged with and actively involved in, um, which is really nice. It feels, it it's a great way to feel connected to people and feel like you're giving back um, and and do, doing something productive for the city. So I think that's another really exciting thing about Memphis. Well, Jennifer, we are grateful to have you here in Memphis, um, but also here in our podcast studio. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Uh, again, uh, orpheum-memphis.com is where you can review all of the upcoming events. You can make gifts. Uh, you can start planning your calendar as we go forward. So thank you for being here, Jennifer. We're so appreciative. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Have a great afternoon. All right, guys, April Childs Potter is with us, and she is the Chief Marketing Officer at the Greater Memphis Chamber. She has nearly 20 years of experience translating customer and business insights into powerful brand strategies and product innovations. She holds her BA in journalism from the University of Mississippi. I went there too, hottie toddy. Um, and she's been named one of MBJ's 40 Under 40. And on top of that, she is also a New Memphis LDI graduate. Thank you for being with us. Thank you guys for having me, and congratulations on this fun new platform. Yeah, we're we're, we're reaching the masses, <laughs> one ear at a time. <laughs> is it good? Is it bad? We don't know yet. <laughs> I think it's going great. Oh, well, we're, we're glad to have you here. We were just talking about how we want to have somebody from the chamber come and visit us every few weeks because we know that the work you guys are doing is just so instrumental to our community's economic development. We at New Memphis, of course, are... Um, heavily invested in the outcomes of your work. Um, Whenever I describe when someone's like, what does a new Memphis do? I say, well, if you understand what a chamber of commerce does, they're trying to attract and grow business to a community. And new Memphis is trying to attract and grow talent to that community that fuels the businesses. So our work is in this like dialectical relationship at all times. So we're always just curious what, you know, you guys have such um, a unique perspective because you're working with businesses across every sector from our smallest entrepreneurs to our largest corporate entities. So you have this um, kind of unique perspective on just what are the trends and how are things going? So in this year, the year of our Lord 2020, (laughs) April Charles Potter, how are things going? Uh, Well, um, it hasn't been the greatest year. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree. Um, But I will say that um, I know 
to to borrow a phrase from Mayor Strickland, Memphis still has momentum. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have been really fortunate in a couple of ways around COVID. Uh, We really retained more jobs, especially in the early stages um, compared to the rest of the state. We are catching up a little bit in some of that unemployment, but we think the fundamentals of our economy are really strong. Uh, Another thing that we've got going for us is that we have a lot of projects in the pipeline right now, a lot of work that's under construction. And what that means is that those projects were not meant to be uh, generating revenue right now. We have a a new convention center, hotels, a lot of things that are in progress. Um, So the timing of that may work to our favor Mm. in some ways. So uh, it's a little bit of a silver lining and otherwise not so positive (laughs) environment. But we've been uh, really working hard, as always, at the chamber to make sure that uh, we're retaining those jobs and those companies. And and our real pivot during COVID has been to try to retain as much of that workforce as we can to make sure that if people are losing jobs, that we're really getting them connected to other employment opportunities. So you'll you'll see some things from us, or you've you've probably seen some things from us, like our immediate jobs posting board. Mm -hmm. We launched that at the end of March. It is just uh, literally people on our team are calling. Uh, we have about 12, 1,300 businesses invested in the Chamber's work, and our teams are calling those businesses every couple of weeks and checking in and finding out, do you have immediate job openings? Do you have something that you need that we can assist with? And so far, I believe we've posted job openings from over 215 different companies locally. So we've been able to really start to shift people, even if it's temporary employment, just to be able to shift people to other areas in this time, which because we're nimble and because we have a great team at the chamber and great partners like you guys, we've been able to do that work effectively, efficiently, and get that word out. So we think that's a real priority and something that is going to really set us up for success moving forward. Yeah, that's encouraging to hear because I know, you know, both in terms of um, how we compare across the state, but also in terms of the way that COVID has had impact on our largest cities across the country. Um, you know, it, it's hard to find silver linings in this year, but certainly we have um, come out of this uh, in, in better shape than some of our peer cities. What are those industries? You know, I mean, I, I'm, of course, thinking mostly about um, hospitality, our our local restaurants, our entertainment facilities, um, our our tourist attractions. Are there any specific things that the chamber's done or, or you know, is just thinking about in terms of support for those entities? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that Beverly Robertson, our, our fearless leader, president and CEO, um, did initially was to uh, stand up resiliency industry sector groups for different areas. Hospitality and uh, tourism is one. We have one for small businesses and, and others are rolling out to support our, our other key industry sectors. Uh, that work has been really important because we're getting those folks together in the virtual world, uh, not in person yet, but to really talk about what's happening to your business, what do you need, what can we be doing on the ground level right now to help your business be that connect you with other resources, connect you with employees, whatever that may be, and what can we do at the state and federal level to advocate on your behalf? And that's been very fruitful. We've been able to, um, Amy Daniels and the investor relations team has been leading a really robust group of conversations with small business owners, from small, small business owners uh, up to some of our larger employers that are still considered small businesses about resiliency planning. And so really helping figure out 
if there is another wave or if something else like this were to happen in the future, what could we do differently next time around to be able to prepare our economy uh, to be stronger coming out of this? Some of the other things that our teams um, have done are we've done a lot of pivoting like like everyone uh, really has in this time. Our Upskill 901 initiative, which we launched this time last year, was aimed at upskilling 10,000 Memphians over a course of three the course of three years. We're so lucky that we started that work before this pandemic hit mm-hmm. because we really started to put systems and connections and pathways in place for not only job seekers, uh, our skilled uh, laborers, but also for our workforce ecosystem to really get people talking and connecting in ways that they had not before, particularly with business. So they have a direct pipeline to begin to understand what types of skills do employers want. That skills conversation has been pivotal in in COVID because uh, we have a lot of great potential employees that may have been displaced from, let's say, the hospitality industry, but they may have specific skills that other industries locally could utilize. Mm -hmm. And so when we start talking about that skills-based approach, we can really start to fill talent pipelines in sort of some unexpected ways. Um, Those are just some of the things that we've been working on. We've also had a, um, like you guys, lots and lots of webinars, lots of free content. I've definitely really, taken advantage of the Chamber's yeah, webinars. Sure. <laughs> we appreciate that. We've had huge participation um, from, from community leaders, from local businesses, um, local business leaders to really um, learn about all kinds of things. We have legislative leadership on, uh, yesterday we had calls with um, the, the with Sheriff Bonner's office, with Director Rollins' office to talk about um, any crime issues that businesses are facing, really trying to be a conduit to our business community um, and our community leaders about what types of initiatives are happening to address some of the challenges that have come out of COVID. Yeah, that's one of the, I think, more essential roles that the chamber plays. I mean, every city, not every city, but almost every city in the country, whether they be a small town or a large uh, urban area, has a chamber of commerce. But I think what's so special about the Memphis Chamber is that it's fostering those relationships across businesses and across sectors, because that allows us to share best practice. And at a time like this, when everyone's struggling and trying to innovate and everyone's pivoting and all of the buzzwords that 2020 is uh, now famous for, to know like, okay, this is working really well over at my small business. How can that influence the way that you're working in your business? Or, you know, here's how we're tackling workforce challenges or, you know, I mean, I just think that's so special. And the the seminars you guys have been offering, I think is such an example of that because I love seeing local leaders volunteer to step up and say, let me help, you know, spread knowledge, uh, create conversations so there can be these feedback loops. And it's one, I think, helped us all learn. Mm -hmm. But two, I think it's helped us all feel like we're in this together. And knowing that, um, you know, you're not kind of here in a silo experiencing challenges, but that everyone's trying to navigate through this has been encouraging. I think that it's such a testament to our city and particularly our business community, how well we do rally together when Mm -hmm. there's a crisis. Um, And and like many cities, we've had our share of them. So we have reps at at trying to just, you know, get together and solve problems. I do think that we have such a benefit here in this market of access to our leadership. I know that's a huge talent, um, talent incentive for people that you're kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but like yes. six degrees of Duncan Williams <laughs> yeah. here. You can get, you can get to him easily. Um, and that's been a real asset too, because you have these very accessible leaders uh, having conversations. Just a, about a month ago, um, Nancy Coffey, who you guys know, yeah. know really well, 
um, and Daphne Large, who is the chair of our largest investor group, our chairman circle, organized a roundtable with Fred Smith and Richard Smith for our highest level investors to talk about the challenges that FedEx's business has faced and how they've really been able to uh, use foresight and think ahead and plan ahead. And it was so inspiring to hear from this icon, these two icons mm -hmm. really um, that are globally recognized, but they still take time to have these important conversations with Memphis leaders. And that's a really important part of our work, uh, making sure that it's not us always up talking about what's going on, but it's the um, the wisdom of this leadership group and these business leaders to talk to each other about um, best practices and what they can do. And we also have such a committed business community um, when it comes to civic engagement across the board. Uh, I was just saying, I was at the New Memphis Speed Mentoring virtual event um, <laughs> earlier this morning, and it it's amazing to look across the table, and, and it's kind of embarrassing. I'm like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> you are a thousand percent supposed to be here, ma'am. So, <laughs> But it's great to just see the engagement from these really top leaders, and, and you see these people um, participating in so many things. And I think in other cities, um, young talent just doesn't have that kind of access not at the level that we do here. So I'm really proud of our business community and I'm so glad to get, you know, I, I'm honored every day to get to represent them. Yeah, I have a back to basics question just for those that are listening. How could companies and businesses in Memphis actually become a part of the chamber and kind of what are the benefits of being a member? What a great question. <laughs> I love that question. Uh, so you mentioned, Anna, that there are um, there are chambers of commerce in every city. In fact, in our region, we have municipal chambers. We have the Greater Memphis Chamber. Uh, what's different about our chamber is that we are 100% funded by our investors. Okay. We don't take any type of public funding, and that's really critical for a large regional chamber because it allows us to take positions sometimes that may be controversial or that you know are, are really going to represent the business community. It helps us to be able to advocate on behalf of things as well as a host of other uh, other reasons. But because we're completely funded, uh, we are a nonprofit, and so um, it's it's important that people think about. Um, not just joining the chamber, but really investing in the work, much like what you do, mm -hmm. investing in the work of building a strong, prosperous, and inclusive economy for our region. Uh, we have um, what we call our Prosperity for All strategy, which is our effort to make sure that we're not just bringing jobs to this market, but we're bringing good, uh, what we call thriving household jobs, so that jobs that can help families sustain. And that work um, is, it takes a lot of people to do that work. It takes a lot of resources. And so um, when companies want to invest in a more prosperous future for our region, the Chamber's a great place to put that investment. Our investments start at around $500 um, for our small business level. And then our top level investor is a minimum of $25,000 for our chairman circle levels. Um, those different levels of investment come with all kinds of different um, opportunities to engage and provide feedback. And those higher tiers really give you the opportunity to uh, lead some really big civic initiatives for the business community. And, and again, we're so lucky. We have about, I think, almost 1,300 companies um, that invest in our work. So that's, that's pretty impressive um, in a market of our size. Very Absolutely. impressive. I also want to call out, since you're talking about like the tiers of joining the chamber, you guys also have a young professionals group, which I know I'm a member of, um, thankful to New Memphis. <laughs> but I know you guys offer, we talked a little bit about like all your webinars and stuff. 
and how that is. So I just want to put that out there to the people listening, any young adults listening. You know, I know that age range varies these days, but if you're young at heart, Mm -hmm. um, look into joining the Memphis Chambers Young Professional Group because they offer a lot of good services and give a lot of very cool webinars and insights that kind of help you build your skill set. I know I've done several um, with an array of professionals around Memphis, and it's always very exciting. I learn all the things. My coworkers get very annoyed with all the emails I send. <laughs> no, we like, love it. We everything love it. I go to. I love that. You thank you for the great plug. So um, we just recently rebranded our Young Professionals Council to YP or YP Council. Jessica Mason Mosley um, leads that group, and she is phenomenal. Also has. <laughs> Been a participant in the Art yeah. program. Yes, we got to get her into fellows now. Um, Definitely, it's like recruiting for your um, <laughs> for your club. Um, but she's done a fantastic job of programming uh, with the YP Council. We have great leadership um, on that group as well. I think our YP Council is really special because it does give you really direct access to some of our top leaders. Again, referencing. Uh, many of the folks we've talked about already: Daphne Large, Duncan Williams, even Richard Smith. Um, in the in the before, as I like to call it now, the pre-COVID times, <laughs> yes. uh, we had a live event called Corner Office. Mm-hmm. It's a small, intimate gathering with our YP Council uh, where uh, you can actually go into the office of these top executives, small groups of 15 to 20, and you spend an hour with them. You ask them questions. They talk about their career and how, they, how they've gotten to where they are. And we find that our young professionals really enjoy that. And I categorize young professionals as under 40-ish. Okay. <laughs> it's like such a broad category. Yes, it time. absolutely is. I will say, like, it's really fun with the Corner Office series. Uh, the last one I went to was with Run- Running Pony, I believe. And it's really funny because now you're in their home office. <laughs> right. So you're just, you get to see all their weird collections. Yeah, they have, like, their stuff behind them. Like, they, is this a real bookshelf or is yeah. this an illusion? Yeah. I need to know. That's a fun game. <laughs> of is it is that your real house or yes. is that a virtual background? <laughs> we also have, in addition to our YP Council, we have a Women's Business Council, which mm-hmm. we launched last year. They also have phenomenal programming, really great uh, leadership and engagement opportunities for women. Um, obviously, as a woman, that is a cause that is near yeah. and dear to my heart. Uh, and that has been really great as well. I think all of our um, all of our councils offer ways to really get Uh, get into a new level of engagement. And so it's not just the owner of the company that can get involved with what the chamber is doing. And there's opportunities across. We also have an ambassadors program. Um, So we have everything from C-suite executives to, um, you know, the the newest, most junior member of the team signing up to be an ambassador. Those ambassadors serve as real Memphis cheerleaders. They um, participate in our events. They welcome new members. They help with a lot of our volunteer experiences. So there are a lot of different ways that you can you can get engaged with our work. Yeah. And I mean, to your earlier point, I think this is one of those rare opportunities where making an investment in community and investing in a nonprofit, making a donation, which again, you know, you're hopefully creating greater outcomes for our community. You're doing something good that makes you feel warm, but you're also getting, I think, some really vital resources. So whatever size business you have, whatever whatever, you know, kind of professional you are, there's something there for you. And knowing that just access to the network to help build your business, to help improve your business, access to the learning and the resources. So, you know, if you're not already, think about the chamber. Um, Well, I know we talked about COVID and the sort of, um, you know, grim uh, dark shadows of 2020. But I always, you know, when we talk about the future of Memphis and we think about the progress of our city, 
the thing that's easiest for people to sort of cling to is the things that they can see. So we talk a lot about just like actual development, physical development, because it does, you know, I see it as sort of a metaphor for our city's progress. So when I when I look at Crosstown, I see it as this, you know, embodiment of this big vision and, you know, dreaming big for our city. So you guys are, you know, you have the the inside scoop on all of the fun things. So what, you know, you mentioned earlier a couple of projects that are underway, but what is most, you know, a couple of projects, businesses coming, growing, you know. What are you most excited about? Yeah, like what are you like, <laughs> when someone's like, what's going on in Memphis? You're like, this is cool. Yeah, I love that question too. You guys are great question askers. We're getting, <laughs> thank we're, you. We're so good. good. It's like, I feel like we should have five, but we can't. <laughs> yeah. COVID, yeah. I know, there's so much. Um, so, we are, I mean, we're excited about everything right now. We have $19 billion of new projected and, and projects underway in the pipeline, again, for a city of our size that hasn't really grown percentage-wise population in, in, a, in a significant way, like in Austin. Uh, the fact that we have such investment and such attention mm -hmm. from national and international investors is a real coup for us. So that's really exciting. I think what you really started to see pre-COVID and, and we think will continue is that there's real interest in some of these emerging technology areas where things like agriculture or logistics that we already had somewhat of a stronghold in, uh, we've really started to get the technology side of that and get interest. You know, Indigo Ag, for example, is here. And one of the reasons is that uh, a lot of technology is getting built on the coast. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in the middle of the country where we have access to every major crop mm -hmm. that's grown. We have access to really get um, into the farmer, you know, get to the farmer network. And so we're seeing companies like Indigo Ag, companies that have these innovative food-related and health-related technologies, really consider this area. So that's really exciting. We also have long had a history of being a hub for medical device companies, Um our logistics powerhouse, the powerhouse logistics that we have here mm -hmm. is really a key part of that because to, to nerd out a bit, if you if you know anything <laughs> about medical devices, a lot of medical um, medical device work is really about the instrumentation. And so those trays, if you've ever gotten a, a kind of seen a, a hip or a knee surgery, I don't recommend that if you have. <laughs> like, if you I have it, not. it's not something you want to watch. But um, what's really interesting is they do a lot with the, the trays and the instrumentation. Well, they don't create new trays and instrumentation for every single surgery. So those uh, trays get flown in and flown out in a lot of cases. That's an, a reason huh. Memphis is such a hotbed for that type of technology because we can get those supplies to an OR uh, first thing in the morning, no matter where you are in the globe. And so that type of asset is really starting to attract attention. I think you're going to see and continue to see a wide range of medical innovation. We also, we've done really well of attracting those those big name jobs, but we've also built a really strong entrepreneurial network mm -hmm. uh, with our partners at Epicenter and Starco. Um, I'm really excited about Sweet Bio. Um, I know you guys They're know. They're doing such exciting things. They are, and Kayla was just named, I think, in Forbes, one of the top female executives. Every week. Every Kayla, week, right? And Isaac, are over like, oh, there they yeah, are. There they like, are. And if you hear both of them speak, they're just such, like, magnetic people to hear speak. Like, Kayla at our CWR, like, people were, like, shouting up and down because she was so, you know, back when we could have luncheons in person. Yes. Um, well, I also like to plug, she's a mom, too. And yes. I think that this is such an interesting market for um Working moms, especially, and, you know, one of the things that we're really talking about from a strategy perspective is that uh, Memphis has space and we have the ability to really create, kind of choose your own adventure, create the type of life you want. And you see in these large, dense, dense urban cities that have attracted a lot of young people 
as those young people have started to move through different phases in life, they still want those urban amenities, Mm -hmm. but they maybe would like to live in more than 400 square feet of space. And especially during COVID, you're seeing that. So I want to just put Kayla on every billboard in the world and say, like, hey, moms, mom, mom, entrepreneurs of of the world. (laughs) Memphis is a place where you can have a little bit. You can't have it all, but you can have a lot here. And I think that's such a great, I think there's a lot of that sort of shifting mindset that we're going to see from a talent perspective that that's going to be great. But from an industry perspective, agriculture, technology, um, logistics, tech, and um, med device and medical innovation are really key areas for us. But we've also really started to focus and refocus on uh, getting more local spend initiatives underway. We launched a program last year called Move Your Money to Memphis. And the idea was to really educate people about the importance of spending local, not just from a retail perspective, but also from the perspective of if you've got a business here and you have a big procurement department, do you know which vendors locally might be able to fulfill some of your needs? And so we're working right now to expand a project that was piloted in the medical district um, to to bring it citywide to help really start to um, get a database and data resources to understand the different procurement opportunities that exist in the market so that we can really start matchmaking and connecting. And this is another COVID. I'm really nerding out on supply chain <laughs> over here for you guys. But the, it's really important in COVID, yeah. you've seen supply chains get disrupted. Mm-hmm. And so if we can start connecting companies that are making big purchases, if we can make those purchases local and strengthen that supply chain, we can attract more of those types of businesses because they know they can get the supplies they need here. And so there's a lot of strategies that were sort of underway when COVID hit that have really started to accelerate that we think are going to be really great for us moving forward. As like a person of like a younger talent in the city, through my work with New Memphis, obviously we focus very heavily on talent retention. I just kind of wanted to ask like a simple question, but I know you're the person to ask, and especially for people listening who are like me and want to find more information and more data about like the Memphis economy, where can we go to get that? That is a great question. You are so good. <laughs> um, so we want. So right now we do a market report that we release every two weeks, okay. every two Fridays. It's just a really um, data nerds like me love. I'm um, like, tell me more. The, yeah, lots of charts and graphs. Uh, um, speaking my love language, <laughs> right? <laughs> to really break down sort of where we are, where the job opportunities are. For example, you talked about hospitality earlier. We have added back, uh, I think, sixteen thousand jobs in that industry over the last three months. So you can sort of see where those jobs are happening if you're interested in the data side. Now, if you just want to know what jobs are available, we also have a jobs board on our website. Uh, We have two, actually two now. We have an immediate jobs board that is really often, uh, you know, jobs that companies need to be filled immediately. You can access those on our website. We also have a jobs board that just is a compilation of all of the different um, jobs that our different member companies have in the market. So those are two good resources. Perfect. Thank you. Well, April, this was fabulous. Again, we're going to have April back. Um, again, we're this is just our third program. <laughs> yes. um, but as our audience might have questions about the Memphis economy, what is economic development and how do we do it? And what are the, the strategies and the theories that go into it? Um, these are conversations that we as uh, nerds enjoy. <laughs> but if you are also a nerd and enjoy it, feel free to email us your questions. Um, but we'll have you back soon, April, from the Greater Memphis Chamber. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks, April. <laughs> Love what you hear and the work we do? 
make a donation to New Memphis at newmemphis.org. All right. Well, that is our our third episode. Uh, Again, we are Meanwhile in Memphis. This is a project of New Memphis. We are a local nonprofit that is working to showcase everything that's going well in our city, engage uh, folks in our city, connect them to one another. And as part of that, every week we are deeply interested in news of what we call celebrating our city, the things that are going well, um, progress, interesting projects, leaders who are doing innovative things. If you are interested, both in you know not just listening to this uh, radio program or podcast once a week, but we also have a weekly newsletter where on Friday mornings, we drop in your inbox what we call a Meanwhile in Memphis Digest, which is basically just our favorite news stories from the last week that embody everything I just said, all the great things happening in Memphis. So I'm going to share a couple of things. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, just go to newmemphis.org. It's free to sign up um, and you can get all these updates and be a part of the positive work and celebrating our city. So uh, from the last couple of weeks, one of my favorite stories is the Cozy Corners Desiree Robinson was recently, um, you know, of course, the Cozy Corner is one of the most popular barbecue joints in the city. have not been, run, don't walk. Truly, truly. Um, it is it is delicious. Uh, we all knew that locally here in Memphis. But for the past 20 years, Desiree has been the heart and soul of the Cozy Corner restaurant. At age 83 and quote unquote semi-retired, she is really the linchpin that keeps the family business running. She is known for their slow cooked racks of ribs. I'm like, can't even read this. <laughs> no, I'm like, actually like a little bit hungry. <laughs> slow cooked rack of ribs. They have amazing service there. It's a tiny establishment at North Parkway and Manassas um, and has made a name for itself again in Memphis uh, as well. I think one of our best barbecue restaurants in a city that is teeming with uh, competition in the best barbecue restaurant category. Um, so Desiree herself has made waves recently. Earlier this year, she was inducted into the American Royals Barbecue Hall of Fame, becoming the first African-American woman inducted. Didn't know that there was an American like Royals Barbecue Hall of Fame, but like, how exciting. The national group, which inducts three new members each year, looks for those who have, quote, made an under, uh, I'm sorry, an outstanding impact on the world of barbecue. So this honor came as a real surprise to her. I, we loved reading her in the news this week. She's such a delight. She'd never been inclined to push for any kind of recognition when it came to her work. So this was, I think, a long overdue, but much deserved distinction. So when you go to get your next rack of ribs at the Cozy Corner, shout out Desiree. Tell her that you saw that she is a world famous uh, American Royals Barbecue Hall of Fame inductee. How exciting. Um, I also wanted to call out, this is another one fun project from this past week. There, um, This school year has looked very different, obviously, but Mayor Lee Harris, the Shelby County Mayor, is trying to provide a sense of normalcy through field trips. So, okay, again, in the age of COVID, field trips has been something that has gone by the wayside, but he has launched what is called the 901 Student Passport, which allows every school-age child in Shelby County, regardless of his or her assigned school or district, to visit eight museums and galleries for free. Bonus, an accompanying parent may also visit for free. Yes. Um, so I just think this is such a, you know, again, seeing the way that people innovate in the wake of COVID and watching the way that we are all coming together. So thank you to those eight museums and galleries for opening up your doors virtually to our young kids and in person. Um, but what, what Blair, uh, Mayor Harris said was, we want to open our most important culture assets uh, to as many people as possible. And I couldn't co-sign that more vigorously. No, I love that they're innovating a way to still make field trips happen. And especially being an art nerd myself. Like, no, like I need to go on some field trips. I know, like, Marilee Harris, I would love a field trip, please. Um, that I can take myself on because I'm a fully formed adult. But, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's fine. 
<laughs> and then last item for the week, again, this is uh, me being uh, a movie nerd and a uh, fan of getting out and seeing movies. The Memphis Summer Drive-In is, I have been a couple of times here as I have I not- have never been. And it is like one of my most shameful like things to admit. I have yet to been. To been. Is- I have yet to been. I have yet to go. It is the best. Um, you know, I have, I've gone a number of times over the last 10 years, but now again in an age where you may not feel safe going into a movie theater, this is an awesome opportunity. Um, it is a cultural icon. It's only one of about 300 drive-ins left in the uti- entire United States. So um, it has withstood the test of time and it's finding a new generation of adoring fans during the pandemic. It's one of the safest places to enjoy entertainment while maintaining social distance in the pandemic. And business has been booming since (laughs) mid-March, surprisingly enough, they reopened in May. So you can go and check out what movies they have to play. I'll also note our local Malco theaters, bless you. I know this has been a very challenging time for all of those who work in Malco. We thank you for trying to keep those institutions alive there are opportunities at Malco theaters to rent out an entire theater. So you can go safely with your pod of people, those living in your home with you. I went and did it with my family uh, over fall break last week and we had the best time. We watched uh, Star Wars. The old, like, we watched which one? Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Um, So it was a really, it was, it was very affordable. Um, It was very safe and we, I would encourage folks who are thinking about, you know, as we're all just getting a little bit stir crazy. Yeah. But again, the drive-in is really special. And in this beautiful fall, um, I encourage you to get out. Well, I think that about does it, Christy. I know we have some uh, final business, some new Memphis events coming up that you do not want to miss. Yes, thousand percent. First, I just want to mention early voting is happening right now as you're listening to this episode. So get out there and exercise your right. Make sure your voice is heard and counted. And I, you have until November 3rd, I believe is the deadline for voting, correct? Well, I believe the, I think the early voting stops on October 29th. Um, so you've got to, that's the end of this week when this, this show is airing. So you've got until Thursday, Thursday I believe. Okay. Um, so definitely do that early vote. Um, hopefully, you know, lines are shorter. Uh, you know, fewer locations, but you've got spread it out. And then you can obviously go to the poll, far more locations on election day, yes. November 3rd. Go kill it, Memphis. <laughs> let's let's wow them with our voter turnout. I'm like so excited to see that big number uh, on November 4th. For sure. And as far as new Memphis events goes, we are busy as ever bringing you guys quality events upcoming on November 18th. We actually have our final Celebrate What's Right conversation of the year. Um, The theme will be Culture City USA, and we will be taking a deep dive into all things culture and how it is more than, you know, just our grit and our grind that defines us as Memphis. It's about how this city, it makes, you know, you feel it all the way in your soul. It isn't limited to just the arts, from food to fashion to sports to the music. They all play a unique and important part in creating a culturally, I can never say culturally <laughs> rich city. Um, Memphis is leading the charge and just becoming a cultural destination. It comes on lists again and again and again. And at the CWR, we are, which is our acronym for Celebrate What's Right, it makes it a little shorter. And there we're just gonna explore how impactful the culture is in attracting and retaining talent and how arts and culture sector has been transformed from this ongoing pandemic. And you know, the action steps we all need to create a resurgence around our cultural, cultural, economic impact and brand. Um, we have, I'll be remiss if I did not mention the rock star panelists we're going to have. Uh, so our moderator for the event will be Rachel Knox, who is a culture advocate and grant maker with our friends at the Hyde Foundation. Jason Wexler, who is a sports fanatic and change maker for our own Memphis Grizzlies. 
Isaac Daniel, who is a musical mentor and visionary at Stax Music Academy, L. Perry, who is the cultural content curator at the Daily Memphian, and Whitney Hardy, who is an arts advocate, activist, and innovator with Third Space and Epicenter. Um, I really hope to see you guys there again. It is on November. I'm going to say the wrong day. November? Oh, wait. It's November 13th. 18th. Thank Sorry. you. See, in my head, it's the 13th because we just said the voting. November 3rd thing. You've got to vote on November 3rd, <laughs> yes. and then you've got a little bit of a break before November 18th. Come see us on the 18th. It's a free event. It's virtual. You can tune in from home. It's over lunch at noon. Again, rock star panelists. Like, these are smart, fun, uh, interesting people who have a really unique perspective on not just what our culture looks like today, but how do we as a community continue to invest in, build, um, just really appreciate this, the cultural assets that we have and make sure that they're still there tomorrow. And this, even though, you know, we planned for this uh, particular topic way back in yes. <laughs> January of this year, um, but it feels so just uh, crucial to continue to have these conversations so and understand that these cultural institutions, they're not just nice to haves, they are, they're it. And from our earlier conversation with uh, our friend over at the Orpheum, we, we know that Memphis is just a city if it's not for our arts and culture and our, it's the personality of our community. So join us. It will be fun. You will learn something. I think that wraps it up for us this week yes. for Meanwhile in Memphis. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, you, you can visit us and learn more at newmemphis.org. Have a great week. Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins-Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.